All right, um, you can open up in your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 19. We are continuing through the book of Acts. We're in this little kind of mini-series in the book of Acts as we're learning about the church of Ephesus, how it got planted. Um, We've been learning lessons from Ephesus to return to our first love, to be full of the Spirit and confessing our sins. And uh, this morning is an exciting story about being contrary to the world. Um, We're going to read verse 23 to 41. Acts 19, 23 to 41. We'll read that and then we will pray. I'm reading out of the NIV this morning. Acts 19, verse 23 says this. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, Doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what has happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for all this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. That's the word of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word that this is not just a story or history, it's God-breathed and it's powerful. It's powerful, Lord. You speak to us as, as we read and study your word, Lord. So Holy Spirit, please open our eyes and ears. Would you speak to us? Speak to your people this morning, Lord. Help us um, if we're distracted, if we're confused. Lord, if, if some of us are just feeling so guilt-ridden and, and exhausted, thank you, Lord, right now. Would we hear this? We are radically loved by you. 
and we are covered in the blood of Jesus. Thank you that you silence the voice of the accuser. Even our own minds that would just be spinning and accusing, say this isn't for us or I can't do this. Would, would you speak right now, Lord? Would you speak over your people? We love you. Do a mighty work in and through us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've read some of the Bible, you will quickly realize Jesus causes a stir. Uh, I like this. There's a rebel streak through Christianity. Think about it. You follow a guy, you follow a man who was murdered. Just, just like let that sink in for a second. You actually say that you're going to follow and obey a man who made people so upset that they publicly murdered him. Um, I'll share a brief bit of my testimony. I, uh, I was the kid growing up that like all my life was pushing boundaries. Just, that was just me. It was just kind of funny. I just wanted to see what I could get away with. Um, I used to ride the bus and it was like a two, I was on the bus for two hours. Now imagine like a, a squirrely kid told you to sit here for two hours. Like I, the bus became like this place of like, what can I get away with? Like, so, you know, can I sneak under the seats and just like crawl all the way up to the front and all the way back? Or what can I do, you know, to make this more interesting? And so me and my bus driver, uh, Miss Noreen, God bless her. Um, I'm sorry, Mrs. Noreen. She just had enough of me. And she came up with a punishment for me that was pretty clever. Like you, the buses used to like, the younger would sit up front all the way down to like high schoolers in the back. And um, she assigned me a seat with the kindergartners up front. And, and it was, I was like, that's a pretty good move. Like, I'm right here next to her. But I was thinking like, okay, how can I get back at her even up here in this prison? And so I was like talking to these kindergartners and I was like, do you guys watch SpongeBob? And they're like, oh, SpongeBob, we're talking about SpongeBob. And I was like, do you guys know the theme song to SpongeBob? You know how it goes like, the one guy says, who lives in a pineapple under the sea? And then the whole crowd goes, SpongeBob SquarePants. And then you say, absorbent in yellow and porous to see SpongeBob. And I was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to start yelling the part and you guys all sing with me. And like this like spread. It was like, a, it was like a great bus rebellion. Like everyone's like, okay, it's coming, it's coming. And then all of a sudden I just started, who lives in a pineapple under the sea? And all like the little kids, just like a choir, just started singing. And I honestly saw my bus driver. She was so upset, but she couldn't help. But just like, a, she just cracked a little smile, like kind of like, good move, Bo. That was good, you know. Um, now, my whole life, I was just pushing boundaries, pushing boundaries. Um, it, I, was, I was a difficult child to be a parent of, to be a teacher of. And then by the grace of God, I, I met the Lord. And I honestly kind of had this moment where I was like, man, I don't, I don't know if there's like room for me and my personality in the body of Christ. And one of my friends was really insightful. And he's like, man, all your life, you, you needed to swim against the stream you just didn't real. You just never found the right stream. He's like, now that you found Jesus, he's like, there's a stream to swim against. There's sin and evil and Satan, and you are like ready to go. You just needed to find your stream. And I just wanted to do a quick shout out. If you are like on the rebellious type of person, there is room for you in the body of Christ. Like, did you know that there's such a thing as like Bible smuggling, like illegal Bible smuggling, just breaking the law, sneaking in Bibles, like. I just want to say there, there's a place for you in the kingdom of God. Now, this morning, we read of this story. We read of this story where Jesus, he shows up and he, he plants this church and people are believing him and trusting in him and they're confessing their sin. And we see the effect of when the church really becomes the church, like it affects the city. 
It's different than the city. It's contrary to the world. And, and we, we know this. John, when he writes about Jesus in the beginning of his book, he said this about Jesus. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Like Jesus enters into dark places and spaces and he, darkness flees from Jesus. Like there's some real like confrontation when Jesus shows up. And so I love that the Bible says he's a, he's a lamb who was slain for us. Thank you, Jesus. But he's also a lion. And this morning we get to see like this roar of our, of our King Jesus. He's kind of roaring over the city of Ephesus. And as we study this story, we learn, uh, it's, you know, when we cover a lot of verses I think that one, one way we can approach this is like, what, what's the main thing Jesus is, is communicating through this story? And there's, we're gonna look at three main truths we get from these verses together. And the first one is this. To follow Jesus is to engage with the world. To be engaged with the world. Um, you've heard it said, Jesus said it of you. You are salt. You are the salt of the world. Now, salt does many things. It's a preservative. It keeps things from rotting and going bad and sour. It adds flavor and excitement. But here's the thing about salt. It doesn't work if it's just sitting on the shelf in its container. It's doing nothing there. And what salt needs to do is like be engaged, needs to be like rubbing up against what it is that it is to preserve and bring flavor with. You, church, are a sent people by Jesus to be engaged with the world. One of the, the, the valid criticisms of Christians is that we're only known for what we're against. We're anti this, we're anti that. And, and I want to clarify, we should be against evil things. We're, we're not pro-evil, but that is not what we should be primarily known for. Jesus, Jesus said we would be known for our love for one another. Like that's when the world looks at us and like, man, why do they treat each other? Like, why do they take care of each other? But Jesus said we should be known for our good deeds in a community, not just what we're against. And, and when we look at Jesus himself, he didn't come from heaven, stand far away and just start shouting, you're all wrong, you need to stop, and then left. That's, that's not what he, now he did address evil. But, but the, the verse maybe we're most familiar with, John 3.16, look what it says. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then the next verse says he didn't come to condemn the world but to save the world. Jesus came to engage with a lost, confused world. And so in a sermon titled Contrary to the World, we need to be asking, so what's our posture towards culture, towards the world. When we, when, we, when we look at what does it mean to be contrary to the world, but also like Jesus, what, what, what practically what does that look like? I, I think one place to start is this prayer. Jesus prayed for you in John 17. Look what Jesus prayed for you. We get clarity on this issue. He says, my prayer, he's talking to his father, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Pause, he's saying you're different. You're not the same, you're contrary. Then he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So Jesus is clarifying here, we're we're here, we're around, we're to be engaged, but we're to be different. We're not the same. And also, as Jesus was sent by God, Jesus sends you, you, into 
the world, to be like he was. Uh, one of, one of the uh, helpful grids or patterns or paradigms I've heard when thinking about engaging uh, culture as Jesus did is, is these three words. It's to receive, to reject, and redeem, okay? Receive, reject, and redeem. These are like our three helps when we think about culture. The first one is to receive. And, and what, the, what this is, is we are to receive what is good and beautiful in culture. Did you know culture wasn't a thing Satan came up with? Satan didn't invent music or clothing or like whatever it is that we would celebrate in art. God made us in his image, as a creator God, and he gave us this cultural mandate in Genesis to subdue the earth and to fill it and to cultivate, make beautiful things. And did you know that culture is preserved in the new heaven and the new earth? We, aren't, we don't just show up and we all look the same and dress the same. Look at these verses in Revelation about culture. It says this, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation. Not just America, imagine that. Tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And then when when Jesus brings the new Jerusalem down, look what it says about, about what the nations are doing. It's referring to the glory of God going out. It says, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And then look at this next verse. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Part of how Jesus will get glory in for all eternity is all of the, the honor and the beauty of the nations and cultures of the world will be given to God. Like this is all for you, Jesus. All of this music and all of that there is good in culture will be given as worship for Jesus. Now, it's important to remember to be Christian is not to simply be anti-culture, anti-art, or whatever it would be. We are to receive what we can. The next important paradigm, though, is to reject what is evil, to reject what is from Satan and from sin and what the Bible often refers to as the world. 1 John 2.15 says this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. What he is referring to is we are not to wink at sin, but to be holy and different as Jesus was holy. Jesus didn't show up and just wink at sin and just accept what was wrong about the world. He, he wasn't like that. We are to worship Jesus and not the other cultural idols of our day. Maybe it's money or sex or success. We are not to participate in the practices of the world. And, and, and as, we, as we pull back, we actually have an impact on the world. We're to be contrary to the world. Unlike the world, we are to engage in no amount of sin at all. We are to reject what is evil in our world. And then the third thing to think through in engaging the world, engaging culture, is to redeem what has been distorted by sin. And yet Jesus came to make it right. This is, this is what he was getting at when he said, you are the salt and light of the world. You are to take, let's say, television. Is television evil? Did Satan come up with television? No. You are to take what is in your culture and redeem it. Be salt and light. Don't flee from this industry. 
but engage in it. You've, some of you have been gifted to, to uniquely participate in industries that the rest of us are like, man, I, I have no idea how to do that. You've been uniquely placed to be a preservative in your industry, to add flavor in your industry, to be light, to be a beacon of truth, to say, no, this isn't the way. Why would we have the show go that way? This is the way. Be salt and light where we have been placed. We are to redeem areas of culture where we can. And it's been, you know, let's be real. It's been said, um, it's, been, it's been accused at churches of our size that, you know what, we're the worst because it's just a few people using their gifts. You know, you got your, your few people using their gifts and the rest of the, everybody just sits around and then, you know, just week to week, that's what church is. And I want to say this, that is a completely wrong, unbiblical view of ministry. Ministry The work of the ministry is to be done by you guys, Monday through Saturday. That's that's ministry. The job of those who are called to work for the church, we are just to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Don't say, oh, they're doing ministry. They're called to ministry. I'm in full-time ministry. You are sent by Jesus into your spaces, places, families, workplaces, neighborhoods to do the work of the ministry. Sunday is where we gather and we are encouraged in the presence of God and we get corrected so that we can go be the the ministers, go be the, the priesthood of all believers. You've been sent by God to do ministry tomorrow. Do you view tomorrow as this unique God-ordained ministry where only you can fulfill that ministry? It's been said, you know, the real job, the, the, what, what your job is for is just to raise money, give it to people like us, just pastors and missionaries so that we can do the real work of the ministry. Now, I want to say this. There's a place for that. If there was no money, we couldn't, you know, there'd be less going on here. But that is not the primary reason you've been sent into the world. I want to say this. One of the, the best ways we can be salt and light wherever we are is to do a good job wherever we're at. To do a, a good, faithful job. That speaks of the character of God and gives us like authority in a way like people, people will notice something different about us. It's not, oh man, this is just a part-time job. This isn't my calling. So I'm just gonna like, like you know, I'll serve at church, but then I'm just gonna like survive in this job. That is not what our calling is, is to be faithful as a mom, as a plumber, as a financial planner, as a teacher in construction, God has placed you there. He's placed, he has sent you to that place to do a good job, and then, yes, to make relationships with the world, to lead them to the Lord. Your reach, I mean, just uh, seriously, like, think about our reach right here in this room. Think about the reach we would have in our city, we do have in our cities and communities and families that is far greater than any old random person working for a church. You have been sent by Jesus to engage the world. Secondly, we learn from this story, I like this point, is to follow Jesus is to disturb the world. It's to disturb the world. I mean, even the title of this section is The Riot in Ephesus. And that's exactly what Demetrius said. Like they're, they're causing, or it says, Luke says this of them, they're causing a great disturbance in our city. I love that. Um, Jesus, when he was around, he a stir kind of happens sometimes when he was around. Uh, look, just look at these verses. We're going to put them on the screen. Verse 28, look at this language. This is the effect 
of the people of God on their community, okay? This is, this is what is happening. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting. Verse 28, the whole city was in an uproar. Verse 29, the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Verse 32, the assembly was in confusion. Verse 32, most of the people did not even know why they were there. Verse 34, they shouted in unison for two hours. In verse 40, we are in danger of being charged with rioting. I just want to say, the church affected that. That happened because there were people in their city that were just so different, were not willing to engage in the sins and the evil and idolatry of their day, that it caused this kind of response. Jesus caused this response, and we're seeing what happens when a church is walking rightly. This just happens. Uh, Revelation refers to, we overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. I want to briefly share with you a few mini testimonies of a couple saints, brothers and sisters that you have who have changed the world. Um, Have you heard of Saint Telemachus? I had never heard of him a week ago. Um, But this saint was in the Roman Empire and he was saved and he was rescued and he was so disturbed at the Roman practice of gladiator fighting. He was like, we... We just kill people for entertainment and laugh as if that's not like tragic. And he was so moved by God. He was so disgusted at this cultural practice of entertainment that one day he goes to the Colosseum. This is a true story. You can find it in many sources. And he jumps into the Colosseum in the middle of a fight. And he starts declaring, in the name of Jesus, stop. And he would run over to another gladiator. In the name of Jesus, stop. And the story goes, the whole Colosseum was just laughing, laughing, laughing. And he's like avoiding getting like, you know, attacked. In the name of Jesus, stop. And when he wasn't looking, a gladiator ran him through with his sword. And he fell down, bleeding and dying. And he died there on the Colosseum. And the emperor heard of this man that day and was so moved by the conviction and sacrifice of this man that he officially for all time banned the practice of gladiators in the Roman Empire. That was the last time the Roman Empire had an official gladiator ring because of this one Christian was so moved to say in the name of Jesus, stop. We've heard of Martin Luther who went up against what, you know, how it just turned into dead religion and just keeping the word of God out of the hands of the people. One man was moved by God and had so much of an effect. You've heard of revivals. Have you heard of this in North North America, Great Britain, where taverns would be closed, like taverns would go out of business because there just wasn't enough of a clientele. There's even another story of the coal miners where their donkeys wouldn't listen to him anymore because like, the donkey's like, I don't recognize you. You're a different person. It was like the great donkey rebellion because of this revival because people were different. Um, we've heard of William Wilberforce who the Lord used to abolish the slave trade in the entire empire of Britain. And it's easy to think, man, he was just you know, a great politician. I could never do that. He had this deep love for the Lord and it was his love for Jesus that compelled him to move forward. He tried to quit so many times and he, he was just compelled by the Lord to press on, to be faithful in his unique sphere of ministry, to be salt and light. Look what he says about the church. He, he has some pretty convicting words towards the church. He says, some might say one's faith is a private matter and should not be spoken of so publicly. 
They might assert this in public, but what, they, what do they really think in their hearts? The fact is, those who say such things usually don't even have a concern for faith in the privacy of their interior lives. He's saying, man, if you're not affecting things publicly, there's probably not a lot going on privately either. Because when you're walking with Jesus, you just can't help but be moved to be salt and light in our communities. We know of Martin Luther King Jr., who was a pastor. We forget that he was a pastor. He preached the word of God week in, week out. He said, he said this about what, what made this movement so successful. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And then he said this, the early Christians rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely, this is so good, a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. He says, do you know who should be setting the thermostat of culture in the world? The church who are walking with the Lord. Now, when we are engaged, as we see in this text the world gets upset. The world feels threatened. In fact, this uh, man, Demetrius, said this about the church. He, he says this. I think we have it. You see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and, listen, led astray large numbers of people. I just want to pause right there. When the world sees us walking with Jesus, they will genuinely fear that we are leading people astray. That's an actual conviction they will have. You are leading people astray. Isaiah refers to this phenomenon. He says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. When, when there's a culture that's not being affected by Christians, it calls good evil and evil good. And when Christians stand up and are, and are contrary to that, to those things, they will accuse the church of, man, you're leading, you are harming people. That, that's an actual, that's, a, that's an accusation we should be expecting. We should be expecting to hear, man, you're, you're harming people with what you're preaching. And, and I, want us, I want to point out a few things that are specifically um, that the church is being accused of right now. And I want us to think biblically and compassionately like Jesus about these things. Um, it's been said of the church, right now it's being said of the church, that when, when you would oppose the legal right for a woman to abort her child, you are imposing on her own right as a woman and, and you are taking away her right over her own body. And to what we, we, we say as Christians is, no, women should have rights over their bodies, absolutely. They just shouldn't have a right over another's body, over a baby. We, we say, no, that child is in the image of God and it has its own rights and we need to fight for and protect that. We say no to that narrative that we are harming a woman's body by, by fighting for the life of a child. Now, I want to say this. We say that with compassion. We say, if you in this room have had an abortion, Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you and forgives you. The same as he forgives all of us for our sin. We love you. You are welcome here. But we also were full of grace and truth. It is not okay to take the life of an unborn child. Another thing culture accuses the church right now is uh, just this last week, the APA, this is the American Psycholo Psychological Association, just made an official statement that the problem, or, or they said this way, traditional masculinity is harmful to society. And what, what we would say as a church is, hey man, to be chauvinistic is wrong. We, the church has abused women. Men have abused women. That is wrong. 
but we also say that traditional masculinity is actually, it's not a problem. It's a solution to many things in our society. What boys need is a man to stand up and father them and say, you cannot do that and you cannot do that. And to be a man is to go this way. Part of the solution for culture is godly men who stand up and lead their families and lead their churches. What a different culture we would have if we had godly men leading like Jesus would lead. And so we say no to chauvinistic masculinity, but, but we don't accept that, that, that men are the problem. We say no to that. Another thing we've heard, this one is so tragic, is um, the, the church is being accused of... Uh, What's the word to put it? It's the, the, the word's to, it's toxic therapy to tell someone that to resist their sexual inclinations, it's, it's, it's harmful to them. It's harmful to tell someone to resist their sexual urges. Uh, specifically in the areas of same-sex attraction, the church has been accused of, man, you are, you are hurting people. When you say to them, it's, it's not God's design. It's not God's design to walk in this way of sexuality. And, and we, again, say, if, if you struggle with same-sex attraction, Jesus loves you. You are so loved by Jesus. And, and hear me, we are all sexually broken. And you are not in some, it's, it's a satanic lie to say you're different. Your sin is worse. Maybe the church hasn't handled it the right way, but we are all sexually broken. And we all submit to the lordship of Jesus to be forgiven and redeemed and then to walk submitted to his word and in the design for sex between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. And so we say, no, that's not true. It's, it's not true. It's actually for freedom. Jesus sets us free from our sexual histories and past. And so we don't accept that narrative of you're leading people astray. And the last one I'll point out is this. Um, we've, the church has been accused of toxic conversionism, where, where we would say to a, a culture, hey, your, your idols, your gods are, are no gods at all. That's exactly what we see Paul saying. That's what we must say to anyone who would worship any other god besides Jesus. That is no god at all. And in love, we want you to hear of the one true living God who loves you and came for you that you would be redeemed and set free from your sin and your, your religious works-based everything. Like we have really good news for other religions who are so weary of working to earn their salvation. We get to preach there's a man named Jesus who came to fulfill all that God requires of you and you can be free indeed. It is not toxic. That's the gospel. We, we engage the false idols of our day, we say, no, Jesus alone is to be worshiped. And when we are faithful to be contrary to the world in these ways, it's going to cause a disturbance. It's, it's going to stir the pot. And, and the only thing I will say to temper us here is that we would be full of grace and truth, that like Jesus, we would love, we would genuinely love those we are interacting with and engaging with. The third truth we see from this text is, is this is counterintuitive, but it's this. We, the church, are called to faithful, quiet obedience. Sometimes the most radical thing you can do is just daily, quietly obey Jesus. To be contrary to the world is often to just be quiet and faithfully obey Jesus where he's placed you. And I bring this point up because there's a, conspicuously a silent group of people in this story, it's Christians. 
they weren't out picketing. They weren't out yelling. It wasn't them who was rioting. It was the world who is stirred up. This was a byproduct of faithful daily obedience to Jesus in all the spheres of life. Hey, that's so crazy. That's so radical that just by walking and obeying with Jesus, it's going to have these kinds of effects on a society. And I even love that Paul was like, come on, let me in there, let me speak, let me defend us. And God was like, and his community were like, it's okay, it's gonna be okay. Like, God's got this one, he's gonna defend himself. And, and God literally raises up this clerk to be like, hey, they're not breaking any laws, they're not breaking any rules, it's us that are freaking out right now. We're the ones who don't even know why we're here. The church, and, and he validates just the faithful, like Christians are to be good citizens in their community, the best citizens. Paul refers to this in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says this, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Man, sometimes, sometimes we need to speak up and then sometimes we just need to be faithful and watch what the Lord is doing. That's actually the whole story of Acts. We see Christianity validated by the government. Like, oh, these are good citizens. These aren't law-breaking rioters. They are good, faithful, obedient citizens. And when, if it ever comes to a point where we disobey the government out of a conviction to God, we go to jail. We don't like sneak out and rebel. We're like, okay, I will suffer for this under the law, but I'm not gonna obey where Jesus says, don't obey. And so God sustains the church in this moment. Um, I think the other important thing to notice here to, to remember is, is this didn't happen out of nowhere. This happened from a church that was confessing their sin, that was full of the spirit, that was trusting, submitted to the word of God. This was a byproduct of walking with Jesus. William Wilberforce, who was so effective in his society, said this, this perpetual hurry of busyness and company ruins me in soul, if not in body. More solitude in earlier hours. Man, if you wanna be like I do, effective like William Wilberforce, just get up and be with Jesus in the morning. If you wanna have this effect on culture and society to be salt and light, man, rise early and be with Jesus. As hard as that is, that is the source, the root of all of this fruit that we will have in our world. Now, I want us to close really practically and specifically in a moment. We, uh, as we've been, we've been sensing from the Lord, we just need to double down on prayer as a church. So we're gonna spend about five minutes with one or two people uh, and we're gonna share, here's where I'm sent. Here's, here's where I'm at right now. It could be a coffee shop. It could be a family. It could be wherever you are. Where has the Lord placed you and that we would be daily faithfully obedient and have an effect by the grace of God? And I just wanna ask a couple questions to help us think through this real quick. Where am I tempted to be like the world? Where have I been loving the things of the world? Where have I been placed where if I were to be like Jesus, like I would stand out. Like if I were to truly faithfully be, be with Jesus, I would be really contrary to the world. Um, where can I limit my intake? Where can I limit my intake of the cultural idols of my day? Where can I, and I'm gonna be specific, where can I limit my intake of media consumption? Where can I limit my intake of sexual depravity that I'm, that I'm witnessing with my eyes? 
Where can I limit my intake even of good gifts of God like hobbies? Where can I limit all that is, that is just like the world? Where can I limit that and, in, and instead just seek the face of Jesus to be different than the world? So we're gonna, I'm gonna say a brief prayer for us and then we're gonna turn, five minutes, lights will be on. And, and I want us to share where, am I, where, have, where have I been sent? Where am I placed right now? And that, and that we would briefly pray for one another, that we would be salt and light, that we would be engaged, that we would be contrary to the world, and we'd be obedient to Jesus. So let me pray. Jesus, would your spirit move us right now to care enough about one another, to share, to be honest? And then would we be full of faith to pray that we would be a sent people? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's do that for a few minutes together.